welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger. Welcome to episode four of Sleep Talk, our podcast on all things sleep. And I'm joined again by my co-host, Dr. Moira Junger. Hi, Dave. How are you? Very good. And we're putting this one to air in March of 2016. And the theme for this episode is we're going to be talking about sport and how sleep can actually help with performance in people who are athletes or people who are uh, elite sportsmen and that two-way interaction between yeah, sporting performance and good sleep. Great. I'm, I'm excited about talking about this because I, I do love sport. I'm not really an elite athlete <laughs> by any stretch. You, you love participating. <laughs> I do love participating. Um, in fact, I learned a new word, weekend warrior. Have you heard that term? Yeah, some, <laughs> some people describe my cycling a bit. Yes. Like that. Well, that's how I knew when I um, snapped my hamstring. Like someone would say, are you a weekend warrior? I said, well, no, yeah. not really. Anyway, certainly not now. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. From um, But I do love speaking. I think a lot of people, whether you're an elite sports person or, uh, you know, someone who just enjoys a bit of fitness or weekend, you know, sport, um, I think it's great to speak about that in relation to sleep. Well, there's, there's lots to talk about. So what's coming up this month and what's in the news this month about sleep? Well, in fact, this week, um, March 18th, is World Sleep Day. So I think people should you know, just be on the lookout for there'll be a lot of media interest. There'll be lots of stories on all things to do with sleep. Yeah. And sleep is such a broad field, really, isn't it? There's, I mean, we're particularly interested in the clinical aspects, but World Sleep Day will encompass whole range of things, you know, fatigue and alertness and safety and those sorts of aspects of sleep. Yeah. So people should be you know, looking for opportunities to, to start, start conversations with their family and friends around, around sleep and the importance of such. Yeah, and exactly, as a society, to really prioritise sleep and rather than see sleep as something that, you know, you can push to the sides. Sleep when you're dead, you know, there's often society's attitude towards exactly, sleep. Exactly, exactly. Um, what else is coming up? Well, what we did do in the last week uh, was a uh, webinar for the Australasian Sleep Association that I had the pleasure of being involved with, um, mm. talking about wearable activity monitors and ways of monitoring sleep using some new technologies. Mm. Um, so that's still available for people to look at. For members of the Australasian Sleep Association, it's free. Um, and for non-members, there's a $40 cost to watch the webinar, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Excellent. I mean, we can talk about that another time, I guess. But I guess because most of them I thought were not really well validated, but that's, that's changing. Watch this space, <laughs> is all I'll say. I mean, that. every second person has some kind of Fitbit or some kind of device, don't you think? There's a lot of people having wearable, you know, tracking devices. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my personal view is I'm a fan yeah. of that type of device and, mm. you know, empowering people to better understand their health and participate in their health, I think, is a really um, great thing. Good. So what about what's been on Sleep Hub and in social media? So some of the stories we've had on Sleep Hub over the last month, we're still putting out some product reviews on sleep apnea products, things like um, some of the latest CPAP masks. I wrote a post about snoring. A lot of people ask me about snoring and say, look, is snoring bad for you? So there's a mm-hmm. post that specifically talks about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had an article in Essential Baby. I write a number of articles with Dr. Evelyn Lewin, uh, who writes a lot on parenting and uh, we, we wrote an article about getting primary school age children back to bed so that's a helpful resource for parents. Okay, good. And then I was on radio on Brisbane with Stav, Abby and Osher 
talking about should you snooze and trying to work out is it better to hit the snooze button or oh, better to get up. Yes. That was a bit of a heated, heated talkback debate, that one. <laughs> oh, you, were you participating in the talkback? People yeah. were ringing in and... What's the what's the gist? What's your story around? Yeah, what's your well, I, I, sat, I sat on the fence because, <laughs> because it's actually helpful for some people to catch up on sleep by yeah. sleeping a bit longer. But if people have got sleep problems, it's helpful to keep a regular routine and a regular arising time. So I don't reckon mm, there's one no, answer that fits everybody. A, often where people want sort of um, clear-cut black and white in sleep and yeah. I think maybe I think keen listeners to this podcast will at the very least understand that it's not always black and white. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on to our topic for this month, we've already introduced or said that we're going to talk about sleep and sporting performance. So there's a lot of media information about sleep and the consequences of not getting enough sleep, but not only impacts on how we feel, but can impact on performance as well. I really first got exposed to this concept of sleep and sport when I was working in Boston about 15 years ago and understood a bit more about American sports and what horrible schedules they have Mm -hmm. and travelling from the West Coast to the East Coast and playing games day after day. But part of the Harvard group that I was with was also at that stage working with professional sports teams on optimising their performance and showing that teams that had a strategy had a better win-loss record away from home. So really, uh, even back then, was something that was seen as important. Mm. Um, Now in my personal practice, I do see professional athletes with a range of sleep problems, athletes with insomnia, trouble getting to sleep and when they've had a late night game, then we see other athletes with circadian rhythm problems or wanting advice around travel and jet lag. And Moira, as an amateur athlete, as we've already <laughs> talked about, you know, what's your experience with how sleep and sport tie together? Uh, well, certainly a link. Um, and I think uh, I noticed, and we've spoken about this before, and that a lot of sport, a lot of things do uh, curtail people's sleep in terms of the scheduling around sport. When I was a amateur netballer, <laughs> you know, my, my netball career went from about grade three to age 40. <laughs> and it, it sort of stopped when I was starting to have games that were 10.45 at, you know, Albert Park Stadium. Yeah. I said, I can't, that's way past my bedtime. I thought that it was interesting how late things are scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um and then also how early things are, like if you're doing fun runs and marathons and the like, things I've participated in and very slowly, mind you. They, you know, you have to be there at six a lot of the time. And yep. so I've learnt, I've known that, you know, sleep and, and performance and, and sport are certainly hand in glove and I'm not really known much about it. It certainly hasn't been a focus in terms of my clinical work, but people ask me all the time about it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, that's why I'm really interested that you actually were able to speak with Ian Dunnikan? Yeah, so I was really fortunate to be able to meet up with Ian Dunnikan. Ian's doing some research working with elite sports teams and looking at um, the effect of sleep on their performance and also then with his group Sleep Sleep for Performance, looking at ways of working with teams to optimise their performance and schedules with travel. So I had the opportunity to talk with Ian at the recent Australasian Sleep Association annual scientific meeting. So Ian, thanks for chatting with us and talking about sport and performance, and that's the area that you're working in. So just to start off with, what's some of the data that links sleep and sport? 
So some of the data that we have at the moment um, across many different sports teams um, has been looking at sort of infield stuff, like using actigraphy, the amount of sleep that um, athletes get before games, during the game and after a game for recovery. So in those three different periods. Some of the interesting data that we've been seeing at the moment that's kind of um, linking in sleep and performance is that before a game, athletes tend to get more sleep the night before a game. Um, whereas after a game or after a competitive event, athletes' sleep seems to be reduced due to you know, many different factors, whether it being amped up or hyped up after a game, uh, due to scheduling or traveling after a game as well. And then also the next few days, recovery sleep can be impacted also after as well. Um, so we kind of see this sleep banking of somewhat or increasing sleep more towards the get towards the game but then a decrease on the night after the game or competitive event and then a a gradual recovery so we see this kind of wave happening over that period during the season and if athletes aren't sleeping well how does that translate into on field or during game performance yeah it's quite interesting so across a number of different studies and different athletes we've been dealing with um, so for example when we look at combat sports with fighters people in mixed martial arts or jiu-jitsu or boxing or so on if they're not sleeping well or having a number of sleep disruptions uh, whether these being kind of um, seen in the actigraphy data or from doing PSG in the lab we see that next day, next day performance is impaired um, due to physical performance um, cognitive performance and also just generally how they feel as well and how they train um, and this can also be affected by the next day scheduling so early morning scheduling may affect that as well and, and lead to a sort of an increase in, in sleepiness or fatigue over a cumulative period of time so there's definitely a relationship between the amount of sleep that these athletes are getting and how they perform whether it's how they think they're performing or how they're actually performing yeah. um, or how sleepy they may think they feel or actually how sleepy yeah. they, are, they, are, they actually are yeah, from a scientific yeah. standpoint and then what about in recovery so after performance what's the impact of if you're not sleeping well on recovery yeah so the recovery period is really interesting and when we're working with the western force at the moment um, in western australia who are the most traveled sports team and it's really interesting during a super rugby competition because they may have games back to back or they may have to travel so from perth to south africa back to perth to new zealand east coast of australia and now with japan this year as well so the recovery uh, is is a vital piece of the overall performance of the team and more time in the gym or more time and on the field during the week is not necessarily translating to better performance in a game in that win-loss metric so giving that ample opportunity for sleep and recovery during those times is really key and obviously then there's been lots of published studies about the effect of sleep and recovery with cytokine release inflammatory markers um, uh, testosterone and growth hormone being released during stage three and so on so if that's been reduced obviously the athletes can't physically recovery recover or, or recover from a mental standpoint when REM is being reduced also as well. So you talked a little bit about travel and gave Western Force as an example. So what's the team factors and how do you work on that if a team's got to cross a lot of time zones? Yeah, it's an interesting one because um, out there at the moment, um, people are reading stuff and they're getting to a new time zone and going, great, we'll just get out and get some light and we'll, you know, we'll go train and we'll get into this new time zone, which is actually making some of these teams worse. So what we do is we've been using a lot of biomathematical modeling. Um, so, you know, there's different tools out there like FAST and FADES and so on. We use the FAST, the Fatigue Avoidance Scheduling Tool from Fatigue Science in Vancouver. And we've been using that to model last season where we take the training times, we take the game times, we take a, we take a, a sample of 10 days actigraphy data and put that into the model as well. We take the flight times and we've modeled last season and we've actually used that then to extrapolate that to an effectiveness measure to show their effectiveness when they're just awake. So they may be doing some extracurricular activities like vocational education or going to university or, or running a business. We've also looked at their effectiveness whilst they're playing a game. 
and we also looked at their effectiveness while they're training during the week as well from, from those different training times. So using those measures then we've been able to um, model various countermeasures for next season such as changing flights, training times, increasing in sleep, making manipulations to sleep and environment and so on. We were able to model those to demonstrate from a, a modelling perspective yeah. what these what these changes may bring about. And so in next season, we'll be actually deploying those countermeasures with the aid of the coach and the performance coach. And then hopefully we'll be uh, climbing the ladder to show that sleep can actually help you win. Yeah. And I think on that note as well, we've been, we see a lot of these YouTube clips and these video inspirational clips, particularly on combat sports and, and interactive sports like rugby and so on where it's these little rise and grind video clips of Nike someone getting up and running in the morning and it's nice and dark and you're, and you're up and you're doing stuff before everybody else I've been saying forget about that stop watching the Rocky movie it's not up, get up early rise and grind it's sleep in and win that's what we need to think about we need to, be able to increase our sleep opportunity maximise our recovery to optimise our performance Really love that tagline, sleep in and win. I think you're on a. I think you're on the right track. Yeah, you're on the right track there. But how do you balance that? So I, I see some athletes and elite athletes like uh, Australian rules footballers. And, you know, they've got a night game. The club's scheduled early morning compulsory training. If I don't show up, I'm going to be scratched for next week. So how do you manage that difficult balance? Yeah, there's two parts. And when you look at this from an industry perspective, it's nearly the same approach with athletes. There's the organisational aspect, and then there's the individual aspect. When we talk about FRMS fatigue risk management systems and we talk about sports performance management systems it's the same thing as well so by doing the modeling like i just spoke about we engage the uh, organization with the coaches and the administrators and we demonstrate the value to them taking that down a level then we work with the athletes giving them fatigue education training we also give them actigraphy reports and show them how, how how they're performing and then a lot of coaches have been receptive to that and changed the training times. So instead of after these late night games and coming in at half seven, we're now starting to train at nine, 10, 11 o'clock next morning to allow adequate opportunity for these guys to sleep. So it's been a kind of a dual responsibility and they're working hand in hand. So it's it's definitely um, a shared responsibility, just like in other industries. And, you know, in the non-sports industry, you know, we'd be using cognitive behavioural therapy, for example, so teaching people good sleep habits. How does that fit in, in terms of one of the individual things you can do? Yeah, definitely. And so when we meet individual athletes we are giving them individual um, feedback um, and that's just between uh, you know sort of uh, us as the researchers and with the individual that stuff is not reported back to the coaches so they're, it's kept it's de-identified and for some of those we also have um, a kind of a a triage of, of some sorts where when we've seen them in the lab, we've seen their actigraphy, then we refer them to a sleep physician, we tell the sleep physician as well, you know, maybe it's cognitive behavioural therapy, yeah. or we give them trend education as well, we do some one-on-one stuff with them, but maybe additional actigraphy and sleep diary, and then we may refer them again. So I think it's constantly engaging those athletes over the season and supporting them as well. And we've seen that as well in basketball as well, working with the Perth Lynx in Western Australia. The same sort of approach works really well. Keep them involved, don't keep the data separate, Get them as part of the journey, like we do with anybody. The more information we give people, the more they want to actually change. And so there are sporting teams where you play once a week, you know, rugby. And so you do get a bit of a chance to acclimatise to different time zones and plan ahead. But what about teams with really tight turnaround times, like some of those US teams where it's, you know, different city, different day. How do you manage that? Yeah, I think that's really key. And you see this in basketball a lot, to play these double headers. So someone might fly from Perth to Melbourne, play a game in Melbourne, go and play a game in Bendigo, fly back, drive back to Melbourne and fly back or so on. And the the NBA in America is notorious for that. And we've been talking to the Philadelphia 76ers about the same thing. I think, it's, again, it comes down to being able to demonstrate um, some of the uh, sort of 
countermeasures going into the game. So I know some people don't like the term sleep banking, but giving them extra opportunity for sleep to achieve it. So at least you get that as well. I think the other key one I've been noticing as well and latching on to is the flights after the game. Uh-huh. So instead of like getting a red eye out of a city and going to another city, allow them to get out adequate sleep after that game in that city, in that sleeping environment. And then the next morning, maybe travel to the next, the next one. Um, the other aspect we're using on, or the other aspect we're looking at this as well is how do we use the squad? So we've got 35 players in a squad or 40 players like in a rugby squad or AFL squad. Do we have to send every player to this one game? Can we kind of send 15, 16 to this game or 20 to this game and then come back and kind of split the squad and go again and people, you know, play around with the travel schedule? So... You know, it's it, it is difficult to manage and it's hard, but I think leading into the game and the recovery is what we have to we have to be looking on the either ends of the spectrum, because it's a bit like in in special force operations. We know we're going to hit a really hard period of time and we have to perform at optimal levels. So what can we do before? And what can we do after? So one of the things athletes tell me is, you know, just performing really gets their adrenaline up, yeah. really wound up, and one of their hard things is to switch off. So what are some tips for athletes in that regard? There's some interesting work happening with this with some universities and some athletes, and I haven't been involved in this, but I've been I've been watching it with a keen eye. People are using like things like the mindfulness app, so um, you know, using breathing exercises to relax and recover after the game. We've also been looking at caffeine and the impact of caffeine. So obviously, when you take caffeine, it's got an hour to peak, and they can have a four hours of a half life, or even more with some people, depending on habitual use. So avoiding those caffeinated drinks before the game, you know, well before, or if you're going to take it strategically, take it well in advance so it's peaking for the game and not peaking after the game and that will help you as well I think also um, there's a lot of information coming out about electronic devices and uh, some are conflicting uh, I recently found in a, in a study that there was no real effect but I think as well even from a sleep hygiene point of view taking away those electronic devices taking away those stimulus after the game is going to be key as well so not going out partying and drinking you know or watching TV or going back and watching other games that you may have missed or re-watching your game using that sort of relaxation technique whatever it might be whether it be meditation having some downtime you know and, and, and just relaxing before sleep and how do you get that balance because you know I do see athletes and they're very fixated on if I'm not sleeping enough it's going to impact my performance and my recovery that in itself can make them anxious yes. about sleep so how do you get people on board sleep's important but not so so important that if I don't get it, it's going to really wreck my performance. How do you tweak that balance? I, I don't really know. I'm still working on it individually with people. And some of the things I've said about the education and dealing with people is, is key as well. And, you know, sort of being active on Twitter and Facebook and keep pumping out information. And, and the guys follow that and like that. So it's very difficult. And I think it's I think it's okay as well to tell athletes that every night's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Like we said to anybody, you know, and you would see these as well, David, yeah. that, you know, one or two nights sleep is not going to be detrimental. You know, and you can still optimize your performance the next day. But long term for your for your career as an athlete, yeah, it's good to get good sleep. But, but don't stress out. We all have bad nights sleep. You know, we all toss and turn and have crazy thoughts and something plays in our mind, whatever it might be. But also just showing them at the value of, of the sleep in the short term and also in the long term to have good sleep habits is going to help them, you know. And I think if we can not only affect these athletes for the short term in their, in their, in their um, athletic career, but also for their long term health and longevity. Yeah, I really like that approach and it fits exactly with the balance we try and strike with insomnia in clinical practice is, yeah, sleep's important, yeah, you've got to prioritise it, but don't get so caught up about it. Think about it as a long-term thing of being good sleep and getting enough sleep. Don't sweat the, the short-term and the, the variation. So you've talked a bit about elite 
teams and you know you're a you know team with professional players and you've got a budget you know we can do the sort of things you've been talking about but what if you're an athlete you you know maybe at a state level and you don't have sponsorship and you're trying to manage your own performance what are some things someone at that level could do i think there's a few things that people could do i think one is um Obviously, there's some there's some great advice out there on the internet, and there's also some crap advice. So I would say to you, if you're looking at um, stuff online, try to find reputable sources, and that's that's really difficult to do in this day and age. So one is find reputable advice because there's lots of charlatans out there that are giving advice that's completely um, completely wrong for athletes and might make you worse. So I think that's key, no, key, no, that's key as well. I think there's free simple tools you can use out there online as well, like sleep diaries. I think are really good for athletes. Just make a note of what time you go to bed, what time you get up, and have a look at your sleep-wake patterns personally. Um, and then, obviously, there may be a place for things like you know wearable devices as well. However, I would caution athletes with wearable devices that can be quite variable. And from a research standpoint of view, they're, they're not validated. And none of these devices are validated or sleep apps, but they may be good for helping you kind of roughly quantify the amount of sleep that you're getting. But you will find, I think in the in the sports world and around the sleep world if you hit someone up on twitter or facebook or on a website there's lots of good free information that people would give you and be quite keen to share that information regardless of money you know we a lot of us are very passionate about what we do and we'd like to share that information so yeah that's 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 a couple of cheap ways people can do it well you're very active online so how can people you know hit you up on twitter or get in touch with the sort of information you're putting out there yeah so i'm pretty active on twitter most days um at sleep for perform um so that's number four perform or on Facebook at Sleep for Performance. You can follow me there as well. Um, and I'm always on there sort of, um, you know, uh, giving out tips and tricks about sleep and advice and answer questions. More than happy to do that as well. So if people aren't looking for you online, have you got any other resources or ways people can get information? Yeah, we have a, a short ebook that's available on Amazon, on the Amazon platform. Um, it's a Kindle edition. If you don't have a Kindle, that's fine. You can just download the Kindle app for free and read it through that so you don't actually need a, a Kindle device. That book is called Managing Sleep and Jet Like. And I wrote that with a guy called Dr. John Caldwell, who was an experimental psychologist with NASA and the Air Force. And that's a really nice, quick, easy guide. It's about 35, 40 pages. Uh, Managing sleep and jet lag is a guide for optimal performance. In that as well, we interview some athletes. So we have Adam Gilchrist in that book. We have Oren Jana from Judo Australia. We've got a UFC fighter, Stephen uh, Kennedy. Um, you know, And we have industry examples in there as well. So it's a great book for just managing those basics of sleep and jet lag as well if you're traveling through multiple time zones. Talks about caffeine, sleep medication, and so on and it's got it points you also to some free apps out there that are quite good and um, that you can use on your devices and some additional reading as well which you know for three dollars fifty it's quite a cheap easy guide for athletes to use yeah that's a great suggestion thanks Ian. no worries thanks Dev. so Moira, what's your take-home messages from ian's interview and what ian had to say oh well i really enjoyed that i wish i'd got to meet him i haven't met haven't met him personally um so that yeah it was really interesting I, I think he's got a really good approach i was really really heartened to hear um, that he has a very balanced and sort of fair and reasonable approach to sleep. Obviously, he's really keen and really passionate about you know the importance of sleep and looking at how it affects sport. But I think overall, I mean, the take-home message really was too that there's obviously on the one hand a, a need for good sleep, but also there's a need for not fretting about when you don't get it. Yeah. And like those things I talked about before, sometimes some late nights or some early starts and it's for people not to worry too much about that affecting their performance per se. Yeah. It's not that acute sleep loss that's the problem. Um, in fact, there's some research people, I'm not sure if you know about 
um, there's a lot of body of research about the the second night, the night before, the night before. Oh, yeah. you know, it's not that. It's the night before. Obviously, for many reasons, you're going to have some sleep loss yeah. um, due to nerves, or or you know, just having to wake up too early. Yeah. But it's the accumulation over you know the many months and weeks preceding is is the is the thing that you need to worry about like having having good quality sleep and prioritizing prioritizing sleep over a period of time. Yeah. So I like that. I like that. You know, they're sort of the capturing the essence of what he said. But yeah, he's he's passionate. He spoke very fast. <laughs> yeah, and energetic, and yeah, you really, know, I could energetic. really see him bringing that energy to teams that he worked with. Yeah, yeah. So just to change speed a bit, you know, you, you're an experienced amateur netballer. <laughs> so the other guest that we've got on uh, this month is Sarah Wall. Now, Sarah's been an elite netballer who played for Melbourne Phoenix and Melbourne Vixens. Uh, she's also played with Queensland Firebirds and the Sydney Swifts. And, and as part of that experience, Sarah's had her fair share of life on the road and still does with her new ventures that she's the director of, such as Genie Boy and NetFit Netball, travelling the length and breadth of Australia, really inspiring young women to be their best using netball and fitness to deliver positive messages around physical and mental health. So I had the opportunity to talk to Sarah about how sleep works for women's sports teams that aren't necessarily got the funding that some of the men's sports teams have and some of the other strategies that athletes can use to optimise their performance. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Really um, excited to listen to what you guys are planning and, and give my input into my netball journey. No worries. Now, you had a lot of experience in your time as an elite netballer being on the road and working with sports teams. What were some of the things that the teams and yourself would do to try and help manage sleep while you're on the road? Uh, it really probably wasn't a focus until the last five years of my netball where um, our, our coaches started to reach out into different spaces, more of a holistic space to help us um, with away from training kind of thing. So um, we'd always make sure that we'd train around the same time as when we'd play that weekend, which meant that we were really um, forced to look at our sleep patterns and sleep around those times as well. So um, really strategically thinking um, for the year and, and knowing what's ahead of us, but also breaking our weeks down and, and working out our sleep patterns. Yeah, and that works for some people, but I'm sure there's some people in the team who aren't good sleepers and you, you can't sleep on demand if you're not a good sleeper. So, you know, did you have uh, teammates that struggled like that? Yeah, and you're probably talking to someone that didn't have a problem sleeping. I feel like I'd <laughs> maximise my day and I'd jump into bed and I was ready and I actually had techniques to get to sleep as well. But what we were encouraged to do was put ourselves into bed and put ourselves into a sleeping um, situation where we were, if we didn't sleep, they used to say to us, at least you're um, getting your body prepared for it, um, not just waiting up if you usually go to bed at 11 o'clock and then all of a sudden you've got to prepare yourself for bed. So actually trying to stick to um, a time frame. Yeah, that's a really good tip. I, I like that of not leaving it till the last minute and then sort of getting into bed and going, oh, come on, I've got to switch off. You know, I've got to be asleep real soon. Yeah, and even when I was a young kid, mum was all about sleep and I, I think maybe she's brainwashed me into thinking probably how important it is. I know I get a bit cranky with if I don't have a good few hours, but um, what she'd say to me before state selection, this is when I was a junior netballer, She'd say, Sarah, if you just jump into bed and lay there, um, it's just as good as sleeping. That eased my mind and made me think that it was actually um, the right thing to do and would help me. Oh, thanks, Mum. Gee, mums are full of good advice, aren't they? Oh, they are. I'd be lost without her, I tell you. <laughs> 
but I really like that philosophy of, you know, and that's some that's one of the points we often use when I'm working with people in the clinic is you, you create the opportunity for sleep, but don't get too wound up about how much sleep actually occurs in that space. Yeah, I think it's like someone telling you you can't do something. It's always a, a trial and error. You think you, 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 you know, you talk yourself into things. So for me, it was always just going to bed relaxed. Um, when I would get nervous, I'd always notice that it was harder to get to sleep. So I'd actually have some little techniques and I'll probably share with those with you a little bit later. Yeah. So then we talked about sleep. So when um, athletes are on the road or traveling or, you know, trying to optimize their performance, what are some non-sleep things they can do to help them perform at their best? Uh, taking time out. I think um, the big thing is mentally switching off from actually the netball game, the training, everything. So to go have a coffee, go for a walk, go into a room, watch a movie, actually switch off mentally from what is actually involved in a game of netball and why you may be in Perth or why you're you know, out of your comfort zone in some way. Um, go for a walk. I always think physical activity in a non-netball Space is also very beneficial. I'd always love to go for a walk, no matter if I travelled or I didn't for a game. I'd stick with the same sort of routine of the morning, go for a walk. Um, one that I learned later in my netball was um, practicing meditation, and it wasn't something that I um, thought was um, so beneficial as what I'm finding really in my work life now. But it was to actually be able to take yourself out of a situation and, and, and focus on your breathing. Um, so for me, I do that every morning. Um, while I was an athlete, I'd actually do it before a game, before I'd leave the room, whether it be my hotel room on the road or whether I left my room in Melbourne and practice my breathing and a visualisation while I was doing that. Um, and then secondly, where it really took it to another level and probably when I was playing my best netball with the Swiss was do it, um, duck into one of the, the cubicles in the change rooms and do my 10 deep breaths and um Literally just after Rob Ryder, our coach, would give us um, the game plan, I'd take myself away and I'd breathe, check myself out of what I had to do and then come back really refreshed. Yeah, we use mindfulness a lot in managing people with sleep as well. So, you know, mindfulness style of meditation and those techniques sound very much uh, like that. Uh, And it's a really nice way of um, helping people switch off and that can be tough for athletes, just that getting to switch off both at night and just being calm as well before a game. Yeah, and I think it's how you communicate mindfulness with athletes. If you actually explain it in a way that doesn't seem hairy-fairy, like sometimes the way that mindfulness is passed across, you can say it in a way where this is beneficial for performance. This is going to help you perform better. This is a technique. And putting it in a way like that instead of going, let's practice mindfulness, let's practice this holistic. And it's how it was positioned to me was through um, a guy that worked heavily with very successful AFL clubs. And what's happened with that was I actually saw, saw what was successful. He taught me a technique and I thought I was doing a technique. Now the more I've looked into it with a lot of my programs I run, I see it's an absolute mindfulness technique and it's actually been um, used in not only a sporting industry but just across everywhere. Yeah. And then what about nutrition? What are some nutrition tips for um, athletes? Um, first thing that comes to mind was drink water. I know it's just when you're hydrated, your brain's thinking a bit quicker and you're not as glazy-eyed. Or um, So water is a really important thing. I think as well when you have low lower sugar intake, which is not going to get your heart rate and all those sort of things up. So making sure you have just a, a balanced diet, but healthy, non-packet, sort of really wholesome food. Um, it's just your body actually responds a lot better to it. 
Yeah. So just to change tack a bit, so you're not playing netball at elite level anymore, but you're really taking some of these things we've talked about and running fantastic programs for women and in particular young women. Just talk us through what you're actually doing now. Uh, I guess it's a a space where... um it's a non-elite space, which I've spent my whole life working towards being the best netballer I could be, getting the best out of my body, absolutely working at that highest highest level I could to running programs about you know how you actually approach um, your day-to-day life, using netball to make you a happy person. So all of our programs we, um, we've created in terms of NetFit Netball, it's a netball gym class, Dreamcatchers, um, Wellbeing Academies, they're all about people having their own goals and their own purpose. I think that's the biggest thing. My, my purpose, my love was netball, but everyone's got their own. People play netball for fitness and health and they may love it too, but everyone in the end of the day has got their own vision, their own purpose, and how can you have as much fun and be as healthy as you can in your day with all the resources you've got around you. Yeah, and I really love those healthy messages that you're putting out for people and, you know, you're a great role model for people and you're really just doing a great job. So how can people connect with you online? You're very active online. Uh, yeah, we, we're really active through our social media. It's something I love to discuss with the kids as well. As, and when I say kids, it's usually around that under-15 age group is, you know, the use of that social media. We, we use it in a really healthy way, I think, is one, promoting um, some great great people that work for us, um, the programs that we run, but also, you know, kids love to see their face pop up on um, Instagram or Facebook. But I think um, the biggest thing out of all of it is being able to spread meaningful, healthy messages and encouraging people to get active. And um, I, I just think if people are enjoying what they're doing, they're going to do more of it. Yeah, and I really love the, those messages. You're doing a great job of using Instagram and a really nice example of using Instagram, for example, to get out those great messages. And you've just launched a new website as well. What's that? Uh, so netfitnetball.com.au. So we're very excited with um, being able to actually make that all our programs very clear for the for the netball world to see what fits for them. Uh, if they're coaches, we've got things like online coaching opportunities where we can connect with some of the top coaches in Australia. They can book in sessions and they can talk to these people. Um, people can come, come to us and book their individual child in these academies that are running weekly in, in every zone. Um, as much as many as elite coaches and, and elite athletes that we've got, we're really hoping to pop those up all over Australia in the next year. Um, these wellbeing academies that's supported by Victorian government, which is free for young girls, and um, luckily now we can reach it out into primary schools. Um, it's just um, I just make sure that then we've just covered every area of netball and make sure that people feel it's a home for netball. Great. Thanks a lot for your time today, Sarah. Thank you so much, David. All the best, and thanks again for all your support and your family. It's been great. Thank you. No worries. So, Moira, as a health psychologist, I'm sure a lot of what Sarah had to say ties in with your approach to things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what an inspirational person. It's great, isn't it? It's great to hear um, the kinds of things she's doing, the kinds of things she's thinking about, the messages that she's got for these young women and um, particularly, you know, around around just general well-being. And as you know, you know, I'm obviously interested in sleep, but overall really my frame, the framework I'm really working within all the time is health, you know, optimal health, and sleep is a big component of that. You know, we know we think sleep is just equally as important as nutrition and fitness, mm-hmm. and we've thought talked about that and written about that for a long time. So it's so nice to hear that it's it's becoming it's part of everyone's discussion now in the, in general health. Yeah, and I like that too. So even if people 
so athletes aren't sleeping well, just that concept of there are other things you can do so that you're not feeling that fatigue or feeling that impact as much. Yeah. So don't make it all about the sleep and lose track of managing stress and yeah. nutrition and yes. uh, those other yes. domains of health. I mean, psychology, sport is so fascinating, isn't it? So there's a really large psychological component. Hmm. And I think that's a similar thing because good sleep is a state of mind, really, isn't it? When you think about you don't want people to be so worried about that they didn't sleep well that they perform- they will predict a poor performance Absolutely. because of the, the amount of distress around it. Yeah. So if you can actually just have a, a general approach, a balanced approach, and be able to be a little bit able to shrug your shoulders a bit if things don't go so well every single time, yeah. but to have a, you know, a general mindset that you know mostly i want to have good sleep mostly i want to have optimal conditions but it's not always going to be optimal so if you're looking for more information on the role of sleep and sporting performance uh hit up our guests online uh, ian dunnikin's very active on twitter and facebook and has just launched his new website sleepforperformance.com.au uh, sarah wall's also very active online both with facebook and uh, she has a great campaign on instagram at netfit netball and she's just launched her new website netfitnetball.com.au so what's what do you think what's your clinical pearl for this month dave well, it actually ties in a lot with what you were talking about just at the end of the theme. Um, it's trying to get that delicate balance of not trying too hard to control sleep. So we want to recognise the importance of sleep, allow enough opportunity for it, but then not get too stressed if it doesn't come or get too anxious about the outcome. And that's yeah. a tough balance. It is. But that's really my tip is yeah. allow the opportunity, create the opportunity, but be somewhat relaxed about what happens. I know, and that's and that's obviously I agree with you too. That's a that's the the general gist of what we're trying to steer our patients or clients towards, but it doesn't um, doesn't come easily. No, and, and in fact, the higher your levels of sleep deprivation, generally, the higher the levels of anxiety around it, and sometimes consecutive nights. Maybe people might be able to be cool and philosophical in that way. Yeah, oh, yeah, I won't stress too much. Maybe with one or two nights, but once it gets beyond that. Their ability to be philosophical and accepting is less. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's our the clinical pearl, really, the tip. We can keep giving that messaging, and, and it's a matter of how really how to support people around their um, controlling their worries mm-hmm. and controlling their stress. Yeah. So this is our segment where we pick something that's caught our eye each month. So Moira, what's caught your eye this month? Um, well, what I thought was quite good was a list of strategies for quality sleep for specifically for sport, for sporting people. Mm-hmm. And I did a little bit of research, clearly a bit of reading before this podcast, so just yeah. a little bit of preparation. Not, not like you to do your homework. <laughs> yeah, like not to, way. you know, be conscientious and, yeah. and prepare. Um, but I was really heartened, and, and I don't know this psychologist, Michelle Austin. She's uh, attached to the Academy of Sport in the Canberra. And I thought it was really great. I thought, and she's some, she's someone. She's clearly not necessarily in the sleep field because we don't know. I don't know her name, but yep. she, she isn't. But she's actually really well informed, and I thought it was a um, just a really uh, very measured and sensible approach to to sleep and sport, and some list of handy hints. And I think people, uh, people listening to this, like whether they're athletes themselves or coaches or, or health professionals, I think they'd find it really useful. I recommend it. Yeah, thanks. That's a great tip, Maura. What about you? What's your um, pick of the month? 
Yeah, for me, it was a research article that came out in Lancet Psychiatry and some Australian-based research headed up by Professor Helen, Helen Christensen uh, from ANU, uh, where they looked at insomnia and depression. And it wasn't major depression, so people with clinical depression, but people with depression symptoms, and then looking at the role of an online CBT program uh, directed towards insomnia, and did that improve depression symptoms? And it did, mm. which is fantastic. Mm. Um, a couple of problems. So the great news is an online intervention like that, and they use the shut-eye intervention that we talked about in our last uh, podcast, uh, did improve depression symptoms both at six weeks and six months. Didn't necessarily reduce the number of people who went on to get depression, but that was actually mm. a really small number. So I think that was a bit underpowered to detect that mm. outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think the jury's still out, but you know, fantastic that symptoms were improved. Yeah. And just in a technical sense, there was a big dropout. So only about 50% of people completed the whole six-week program, whether they're in the active program or the placebo group. Yeah. Would that be fairly typical, though, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, we don't see such high dropout if we're doing really hands-on research where we're very highly involved with people. But if you've got an online program and largely letting people in the community you know, run it themselves without that really tight supervision. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what you'd expect. Yeah, and it had great... Was this the one in January that had acquired yeah. a really lot of um, media attention? Yeah. Yeah, so it's great. So it's taken the world by storm and um, started a lot of conversations. And Yeah, and I think it's a fantastic message that people with sleep problems and low mood, mm. if you work on the sleep problems, you're going to get improvements in those low mood symptoms as well yeah. as in your sleep with a pretty simple intervention. Yeah. And I think, and it may sound really logical, doesn't it? It can, like, people say, oh, yeah, of course. Of yeah. course, if you're not sleeping well, you're going to have a low mood. But it's just, it's just, um, it's just great to see it uh, measured properly or, you know, like in, in the research realm, not just sort of an anecdote or what, or folklore. Yeah. To have it um, pinned down to a something that, you know, because we're evolving all the time. Like, this is such a relatively new field, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like really? Yeah. What, what, 30 years in Australia? Yeah. That we've that. been, you know, yeah. having sleep disorder centres and sleep-specific research? Yeah. So, you know, that's pretty young. So some things to look out for over the next month are related to sleep. As we talked about at the top of the podcast, it's World Sleep Day at the end of this week on March 18th, so look out for stories in the media about sleep and use the opportunity to put out positive health messages about sleep to friends, family and co-workers. Uh, just a personal plug, I'm uh, running a, a weekend as a guest speaker at the Golden Door Health Retreat in uh, the Hunter Valley. It's a Lovely. great It's a great. <laughs> How gig. tough. What a, gee, you're dedicated. Yeah, I, I like that gig. It's a great <laughs> gig. Uh, and that's going to be on Saturday night, the 30th of April. So if people want to come to the Golden Door um, in the Hunter Valley that uh, weekend, we'll be talking about sleep and what you can do for healthy sleep. For next month's podcast, we're going to be talking about narcolepsy. Uh, We talked about narcolepsy a bit in episode two, but next month we'll be talking about actually living with narcolepsy and some of the more psychosocial aspects of narcolepsy. Uh, We'll again interview uh, Jackie Tomlins, who very generously will talk to us about her personal experience with narcolepsy. And of course, our own Dr. Moira Junger, as a psychologist experienced in managing and working with people with narcolepsy, will be a part of that expert discussion. So thanks for listening to the podcast and we'll see you again next month. Great. Talk to you then. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.